Well, hey church, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Sunday. Happy Sunday. Uh, just uh, excited to share something with you today that's been on my heart for a little while and excited to kind of launch into something new here in the beginning of 2021. Uh, why don't we take a quick minute and just pass the peace to some folks. Let, let them know that you love them, that you miss them, especially if you know there's someone that's on their own right now, not able to gather with other people that you might be feeling lonely. Uh, so go ahead and send them a message right now. Say, hey, I love you. Go ahead and do that. And then as soon as you're done, if you need to pause the, your the live stream right now, that's fine. Go ahead and do this. But I want us to take a second and intentionally kind of quiet our minds and our hearts before we dive into the message today. Uh, let's just take a second right now and whatever you're doing, kind of get still for a minute. Not because this is going to be super heavy or anything like that, but just to get ourselves present in this moment to allow God to speak to us. So go ahead and get yourself still, get yourself quiet, and I'm going to pray and then we're going to we're going to dive into the word. Jesus, I pray that you would enter into the stillness right now by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would awaken and heighten our uh, awareness of what is going on in our hearts and our minds, but even more importantly, to hear what's in your heart and your mind. I pray, Lord, as we dive into the word today and proclaim truth, uh, Lord, that it would be seasoned with grace and that uh, each and every one of us would be shaped and formed by your spirit and by, by your word this morning. Um, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. Reveal the Father to us this morning and help me to say, what's on your mind to say. So we just invite you into this, this time and this place for the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So we're going to dive into a new series. Let me just kind of set this up here just a little bit. Um, have you ever had one of those moments where, or maybe you've had lots of these moments where you've kind of found yourself like thinking about a simple idea, like you uh, observe something and you're like, gosh, I wonder how that works. And like you kind of go down this rabbit hole of like reading or on the internet, usually it's like YouTube, you know, uh, where you're like diving into like thinking about how does this actually work? And you find yourself realizing this is way more complex than what I had in mind. So earlier this year, I just had this like image in my mind of gears working together to like propel something forward. And truthfully, I'm like not mechanically inclined at all. My wife can attest to this. I am not mechanically inclined. So I just like started like Googling how do gears work and like, you know, looking at different things. And I just found myself like an hour later down this rabbit hole of information that I like, now I know all different kinds of things about gears I never knew. And it's like, it's weird because I didn't think, I've never thought about how does my engine work and how do the tires roll forward and any, anyway, all those kinds of things. And I just kind of rabbit hole. And I do this all the time. My wife can tell you, she's like, what are you watching right now? It's like, nah, I don't know. It's some weird, my, my brain just went down this pathway. Uh, maybe that happens to you. Maybe you're not that kind of person who likes useless information like I do, but I certainly do. Or maybe like, maybe just take a second for uh, right now and just think about something that most of you do probably do or did do every single day. I still do it quite a bit is driving. So this morning I got in my car, <clears throat> started up the car and drove to my office without any real thought to that process of what it was gonna to take to move the car from point A to point B. 
I didn't think about what's happening in my engine when I turned the key. I gave no thought to positioning my hands correctly on the steering wheel. I didn't even look down when I put the car into gear because I just kind of feel it. My, I didn't think about how much pressure to apply or not apply to the gas or to the brake. Uh, I didn't think about how I was going to get to the office. I, I'm kind of on autopilot as far as that's concerned. I really didn't pay attention to the speed limit or even really exactly how fast I was going. Uh, I couldn't even tell you what was going on in my mind in that process, even though driving is an incredibly complex process when you think about it. Your brain is taking in information from your eyes and, and, and sounds around you and feeling in the car, uh, like, that, like it's doing all of these complex calculations telling you, apply this much pressure to the gas now, or put your hands here, put this much pressure on the brake now, or you better start slowing down now because there's a stop sign coming up. And when you first start driving, you're aware of all of those kinds of things. You know, I remember the first time getting behind the steering wheel thinking this was gonna be super easy, but you realize, gosh, there's way more involved in this driving process than what I, what I thought. If you were to think about that, you would probably feel the same way. Think about your normal routine with driving. Take, take a minute next time you get in your car and think about how complex it is, what you're doing. This thing that you take for granted every single day. When I started thinking about this series and thinking about what does it mean to love God, I realized that I was taking this like really thing, this thing that I just assume that I know a lot about, this thing that I talk about all the time, this simple basic idea, loving God. And the more I started thinking about it, the more I realized, gosh, this is actually way more, like there's way more to this. I wouldn't necessarily say it's complex, but there's way more to it than what I would have thought. I, I started kind of reflecting on what does it actually mean to love God? What does it mean to love God first over everything else? If I don't love God, how do I begin to love God? I, I mean, all these questions, that, and these are things I've thought about to some degree, but never really to the degree that I'm thinking about them right now. And the reason why I'm thinking about those things and the reason why we're going to talk about it as a church is because I've just had this growing sense, and I mentioned this last week, that God is inviting us to, into this new season of discovery with him, of kind of getting back to the basics of learning what it looks like to really love God, not uh, pursuing God for what he can do for us, not pursuing God even for necessarily what he can do for our, our town and the people around us, but just for loving him. I think there's this opportunity for us where he wants us to build a new foundation for what he wants to do in the future. And that foundation is built on loving him and loving him first. And so, so we're going to dig into this uh, a little bit, this basic idea that's really uh, way deeper uh, than what we think. So our text we started way back in the fall looking at this passage where Jesus has this encounter with, a, with a, a person who is an expert in the law. And he approaches Jesus and he asks Jesus this question in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The expert in the law stands up and he says to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Uh, Jesus replied, How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. 
And you remember maybe going back to that series that we talked about how this person was quoting something that goes all the way back to the, to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy, this book uh, that's kind of explaining the meaning of the law and, and explaining how God is meant, to, God wants his people to interact with him. And he probably had heard Jesus quoting this scripture as the way to sum up the law and the prophets, this way to explain this is how you live an actually full life. You love God with all that you are. And so he is kind of quoting this back to Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, that's what this whole thing is all about, loving God. Now, on the surface, we kind of, if you've had any connection with the church at all, any connection with Christianity at all, you would know that this is the right answer. What is life about? It's about loving God. And then we've already talked about loving people. So we're going to set that aside for right now. But it's about loving God. We, we know, I think, at some basic level, what does it mean to love God? We, um, we know that if we were to ask what's the most important thing in your life, what should be the most important thing in your life, you would say, I should love God. I should love God more than anything. And, and, and we kind of just have this uh, general understanding that that's true. But how, do you really think about what does that actually mean to love God and love God in this particular way, which we'll talk about is like a total and complete all-encompassing first love. Do you, I'm asking you this question right now, do you love God? How do you know whether or not you love God? Because again, I think we all know how we, we should think about this or should feel about this, but we often don't take the time to consider, do I love God? Not simply am I serving God, or do I believe in God, or do I believe this, that, or the other thing, but do I, in my heart, in my being, do I love God? You see, I think we get confused here because I think that we think um, that, and we confuse believing in God, or even being appreciative of God, or even being obedient to God, doing what he says to do. I think we mix up those things with loving God. And certainly, like, there's an aspect of those things that are included in what it means to love God, but those things in themselves are not what it means to love God. So, for example, believing in God. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his, in his little letter, even the demons believe in God. <laughs> they certainly don't love God. They have no love for God. They hate God, and they hate us. So believing in God or believing in what even Jesus has done for us is not the same as loving God. Let's think about being appreciative or being thankful. Well, if a waiter at a restaurant brings me a, uh, like a dish that I really like, remember restaurants, guys? Remember, remember that? Like, remember when that was a thing that we would do all the time? It's going to happen again one day. But anyway, like if a, re if a waiter at a restaurant brings you a dish that you really like or a drink that you really like or a dessert that you really like, you might be really appreciative. I've never had this before. This is awesome. You might be really thankful, but you don't love that waiter. <laughs> you don't love them with the same kind of love that you love a person who you know or that we're talking about loving God. You might be really appreciative and really thankful for someone doing something for you, but it's not the same as loving someone. And that's a simple thing. It could even be something like something that's like um, even more important than that. But it's still just because you appreciate someone doesn't necessarily mean that you love someone. 
Let's think about obedience. We are obedient, right, wrong, or indifferent to the government. Uh, I mean, you're going to pay your taxes to the IRS because they say so. Just because you do pay those taxes and you are submitted to the government does not mean you love the IRS. I don't know any person that loves the IRS. But we often think that simply doing what God wants is the same as loving God. And again, there's an element here that's true about that, but it's not the whole thing. And so, so we've got to think about this a little bit more. I think that most of us assume that because we believe in God and we appreciate what God has done for us, or even because I kind of follow the way of Jesus, even because it's the same as loving God. But the thing is, that is not love. God is not simply looking for belief. He's not simply looking for obedience. Actually, the thing that God is looking for is a loving response to his love. You could take the whole Bible and look at every single page and you would, you would discover if you were really to break it down that God is not simply looking for people who just do what he wants them to do. He's looking for lovers. He's looking for people who will respond to the, to the love, to the song that he's singing over us. He's looking for people who will respond to the love that he's given us. One scholar puts it this way. He's kind of summing up uh, Jesus' teaching about love. And here's what he says. Jesus does not call people to face up to a stern God who is eager to punish us. A God before whom it would be important to merit rewards by good works. No, he depicts a loving father who sent his son to save them and then called them to an enriched, or we might say eternal life. And striving and avoiding punishment um, or doing things to win merits is not the way to enter into that life. Rather, people are to trust God and respond to his love with our love. All the law and the prophets are summed up in this command to love. I love that statement. It's like we get so confused and we know this to be true, but it kind of breaks down for us because we often don't think about whether or not we're responding to God's love with our love. And I, again, I believe God right now is inviting us to kind of look at the foundation of our lives, look at the foundation of our church and ask ourselves, is this built on love for God? Behind it all is their love for God. So think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. You know, the, you know the, the, the passage there. And the Apostle Paul talks about how if we do all of these amazing things, prophesy, give away what we have to the poor, if we speak in tongues, we have all these spiritual kind of demonstrations of our, of our power and our devotion. But if it's not rooted in love, Paul says, we have nothing. And when we read that passage, we often apply it to loving people. So I think about, gosh, if I do all these amazing, amazing things and I don't love those people, then it doesn't mean anything. Well, that passage applies equally to God. If we do all these amazing things for God and we do all these things that we think God wants us to do and it's not coming from a place of love in our hearts, then it doesn't mean anything because what God is after is love. So do we love God or do we just believe God? Do we, do we love God or do we just serve God? Now, to be sure, loving God includes those things. Uh, it includes belief. It includes um, knowing who he is. It includes serving him, but it's not just about that. So then let's dig in for a little bit. What does it mean then to love God? If we were to kind of break it down, 
How would we love God? Now, remember, we talked about this a while back ago in our series on loving our neighbor. Um, It's confusing to talk about love because we use the word love in so many different ways and in so many different situations, and we use it the same even though we mean completely different things. So when we talk about love, are we talking primarily about an emotion or a feeling? Are we talking about an action, something we do or something we give to people? What, what are we talking about here? Because our brains tend to default to one or the other. We use the, that word love to explain how we feel about tacos. Uh, I mean, because everyone loves tacos. Uh, or salad. Does anyone really love salad? Okay, every once in a while, maybe I do. But anyway, the point is, we, we use that same word to describe food as we use to describe our spouse or our parents or our children. We use the same word to describe decor around our house. Gosh, I really love that picture or a piece of art. As we do to describe our friends who are in relationship, we throw this word around love and we use it in so many different, different ways. We use it to describe like things that are silly. Gosh, I just love that so much. And we don't mean the same thing as when we're talking about loving a family member or loving God. But when we, when we have, um, when we're using the right context, and when we when we're understand this in context, we usually know what we mean. So I could say, gosh, I really love tacos and I really love Jen. And I'm using the same word in the same sentence, but you know how I mean it differently. And this word, like love, almost, if we're being honest, seems inappropriate to use in the same breath as we're talking about tacos and salad and lamps or whatever it is that we're talking about and talking about God, we're talking about the king of the universe, the, the, the creator God who holds everything together. And we're using the same word to talk about my relationship with him as I am about the food that I really like or the piece of art that I really like. That's, that's crazy when you, when you think about it. But Jesus himself chooses this word. God himself chooses this word. This is how I want my people to relate to me, not just in worship, not just in obedience, but in love. The primary thing that God desires from us is this same word, love. Now, there's a lot of different directions we could go. If we're going to dig in, we're going to start getting into definitions of love. We could, we could go to a word study. We could, uh, there's, we could go to kind of what have philosophers said about love. Um, and, and, and I would encourage you to dig into this. As a matter of fact, we'll post a couple videos uh, on a kind of some word studies on love from the Bible Project. And it's excellent. It will help you get a bigger picture of kind of how the word love is used both in Hebrew and in Greek. And I would encourage you to check those out. We're not going to do exactly that. Here's what I would say. I think if you were to take all of that stuff and all that the Bible has to say specifically about our love for God, so that's what I'm talking about here, our love for God, I think it would break down to these two big categories. And there might be more, but here's what's helpful for me to think about it. I think it boils down to desire and and devotion. Desire and devotion. Let me break those down. First of all, desire. Love as desire. The word that's used when Jesus says, love the Lord your God, is this word agape, which is a Greek word. And its most basic sense means something, uh, I have affinity or affection for something. I simply 
there's something about that that is appealing to me or something about a person that is appealing to me. Uh, something or someone, this word can be used of anything, um, brings me delight in some way. And because it's appealing to me or because that person is appealing to me and because it brings me delight, I desire more of it. I want to be around it or I want to be around that person. I want to get to know them deeper. I want to know more about them. I want them for myself because I realize its value and its worth. There's something about it that's, um, that's worthy to me. And the way that this usually works, if we're kind of just taking a sidestep from kind of the religious world for just a second, is that you usually don't set out like to, to decide, I'm going to really love that thing in this way, or I'm going to really desire that thing, or I'm going to really have a lot of affection or affinity for this thing. Usually what happens is you discover along the way that you have affection for someone or something. You just all of a sudden have this awareness of, gosh, I really love that person. Or I really like being around that person. Or there's something about them that I just, I just can't help myself. I want to be around them even more. I really appreciate that person. And the more that we appreciate them, the more that we want to be around them, the more our affection and our desire for that person or for that thing grows. And then we have this growing desire to learn more about it, to, uh, to spend more of our energy and our time uh, devoted to that thing or to that person. Now, the truth is that affection or affinity or desire doesn't just come out of the blue. We use that word falling in love, which by that, what we typically mean is out of nowhere, I just all of a sudden desire that person. The truth is that that doesn't happen out of the blue. Love is not necessarily accidental. And we don't have time to go into a deep dive with this. There'll be another resource that we'll post later that, that, has, that does a little bit more of a deep dive into this. The truth is that when we begin to feel that feeling of affection or desire, it's because there was something in us that that satisfies whether or not we knew it was there or not. So all of a sudden I, you know, I meet Jen, my, my wife, and I wasn't aware that there were certain qualities that she had or certain uh, aspects of who she was that was something that my heart was longing for until all of a sudden I discover it in this person and then it awakens something in me. But the truth is the desire for who she was, the desire for what she's like had always been there or it had, been de it had developed over time. It wasn't that it just fell out of the blue. It's just all of a sudden it gets localized in one person. It kind of comes into focus around this one person. And, and that's typically how love or desire works. You don't, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Actually, I, you already have a desire for something even if you cannot articulate it, uh, even if you, you didn't set out to know it. So um, when, when that happened, when I discovered that I really loved Jen, uh, the truth is I thought that I really wanted something different in a spouse and in a wife. And there were certain qualities that, that, Jen, that Jen has that fit those, but then there are other qualities that didn't. As a matter of fact, uh, I had never really considered that what I really desired um, in, 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 my, in my wife was a best friend. Uh, certainly, I thought we would get along and all those kinds of things, but, but I never really like, wrapped my mind around that what I really wanted was somebody who I could have deep, long conversations about unimportant things or really like deep, profound things until one night, 
Jen and I had one of those conversations, one of those kinds when you're dating and you just like, you just take a deep dive into, into things you never thought you'd be talking about with somebody. And all of a sudden I was like, gosh, this is what I want for the rest of my life. There was this desire that I had and I didn't know that it was there until all of a sudden I discovered it. And so this kind of desire that I'm talking about isn't always something that we are aware of, but when we discover it, gosh, we're like, oh, I really love that person or I really like that thing. Loving God is about discovering this desire that God meets in us. It's about growing in this desire for God because of who he is, because of what he is like, and growing in our affection or our affinity for God, that we like who he is. And because we like who he is and because we, we, we recognize his worth and his value just in himself, we want to be with him more. We want to, to uh, spend more time. We want to give more of ourselves to discovering who he is. And the biblical picture of, of, of love includes that. So you've got people like David saying, God, I just want to seek your face and be in your temple. I want to, I, my heart says, seek your face. I, 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 there's nothing else in my life that will satisfy this desire that I have. I, I, like a deer pants over the water, so my soul longs for you. That is a deep desire that we might call love for God. And it comes from this place of having affection or affinity from God, whether or not you're aware of it, but you discover it along the way. And I think that part of this aspect of love that God is inviting us into is to discover who he is and want to be with him. Not because we have to, but because we want to. You know, God wants to be desired by you. He doesn't want you just to go through the motions and follow the rules. He wants to be, to be desired by you. He wants you to pursue him. And loving God and, and, and all the saints who would go before us, who really have loved God, would tell you that when you discover what God is really like, that it, a love for who he is like will grow. We'll talk more about that in just a second. So that's the first thing, desire. The second thing is devotion. Devotion. And here's how I'm going to describe devotion. Devotion is being committed to what is pleasing and good for the one I love. Devotion is being committed to what is pleasing and good for the one I love. So in this context of the, uh, of the, the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, when that initial command is given way back in Deuteronomy, it happens in the context of a bunch of other commands, uh, a bunch of other instructions from the Lord about how he wants his people to interact with one another. And so... Uh, when, we, when we put that kind of idea of love in that broader context, what we see is that to love God cannot be divorced from our actions and our devotion to God, from actually doing something that is pleasing to him. That our actions, our, our, um, our intentions, our loyalty is in, oriented towards him and his direction and that it's, it's somehow rooted in our action. Jesus takes us another step further in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey my teaching. There's a clear link between obedience and love. And I'm using that word devotion as kind of a broader term to describe that, uh, that obedience. It, that love for God and, and, and loving God can't just be about feelings. It can't just be um, a preference. It has to be tied to loyalty and to action on God's behalf or for God or unto God. 
If you love someone, you will do things that please the one that you love. You, if you love someone, you'll do things that bring about their flourishing and their good, not just what brings you good in your life. Now, this is really challenging, I think, when we, when we talk about this for many people, because we think about, uh, we think about love and, and we think about the commands of the Bible. What, what happens in our mind is we start thinking about rules. Uh, and for us, following rules and love feel like two different worlds. We, we can't reconcile that. So doing what God wants me to do if I'm following all the rules certainly doesn't feel like loving. It feels like I'm trying to, uh, to please him. I'm trying to win him over. I'm trying to avoid punishment. And, and that feels not very loving. I would just say this, and, and we don't have time to press into this right now, but that is a complete misunderstanding of the commands that are in the Bible, of the law that's in the Bible. Um, the, the short version of this is when God shares the, the, the law and when Jesus gives his teaching, they're not just rules that he wants us to follow. These are things that God believes will lead us unto life, not things that just that squash our life. God actually has this view that if you go in your own way and do your own thing, it will actually lead you to death and not to life. And so what God has in mind for his creation, because he is love and his face is set towards our flourishing, his glory and our good, that's what God is committed to. As he gives us these instructions say, if you will live in this way, it will go well with you. This is wisdom for how to live a flourishing life. This is instruction for how I want to be loved. It's kind of like those, the, the five love languages books. Like you can be trying to please God in this arena, but God said, no, that's not my heart. That's not what I'm about. I'm about this. And so the laws are, are, are not necessarily rules to be followed so that we're doing a right or wrong, ple- pleasing him in terms of like um, winning him over by our good behavior. But, but we're simply doing what is on his heart. It's singing his song back to him. It's saying, this is God. I know that this is what pleases you. And so I'm, I'm devoted in doing this. And, and that's a different way of approaching this. And so I think it's actually foolishness to think that we can have a feeling of love for God, a desire of love for God, and have that disconnected from devotion from God, because we all understand that that's not how relationships work. The way that relationships work are we do the things that are pleasing for those who we love and are for their good, and they're for their good. You cannot love someone, you cannot love God in the biblical kind of way of thinking about love God and not be committed to their flourishing. If you're, if you're not committed to their flourishing, if you're not committed to the, to the person that you say you love and doing good for them, then, then you're not loving in the biblical sense of love. Here's the way it helps me to think about it. Devotion without desire won't last very long. So let me, let me say this again. Devotion without desire won't last very long. Devotion without desire is just kind of blind obedience. And while that is good, you cannot sustain that for very long. If you don't really want to do what is good and pleasing, if you don't find God pleasing in your own eyes, it will just feel like you're a slave, not like a lover not like a friend of God, not like a son of God. We'll talk about that in just a second. So, so devotion without desire, which is I think where many of us get in trouble 
We try to please God even though we don't necessarily want or desire to please God. We don't, we don't want or desire to, to be with him and know him. Um, that ends us up in this kind of religious um, kind of life where it's all about making sure I've, I've done all, I've, I've, the column of, of good things has been checked and there's no, there's no checks in the column of bad things. God, you're happy with me because I've done all the right things or you're mad at me because I've done all the, right th- all the wrong things. And, and that, when, when, when that desire is divorced from, de- from devotion, I'm sorry, when devotion is divorced from desire, that leads us into kind of a religious kind of spirit. And that's not God's heart in his design for us. While he certainly wants our, our obedience, what he wants is to be wanted. The other side is equally true. Desire without devotion doesn't work either. Desire without devotion, that feeling of love, that, that affection or affinity, without actually doing things that show that I love, that demonstrate my love, that is more like a fat infatuation than it is love. It's a, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I got to think that you're interesting or I like this idea or this thing about you, but, but that doesn't last very long either because there's no commitment in it. There's no, um, no desire to, to bring pleasure to that person that, that we love. And that doesn't last either when there's desire and there's no devotion to follow it up. And I think a lot of times that happens for people who uh, first discover this message about Jesus and get enamored with who, this idea of a, of a savior who loves you and will give his life for you. And that's awesome because we should so appreciate that. But that runs out quickly uh, if we're not committed to following him. The invitation to salvation is also an invitation to discipleship. And discipleship is all about devotion. It's all about learning how to please this God in all the best possible ways. Learning how to live with this God in all the best possible ways. Learning how to be fully human. And that requires a level of devotion. This is why Jesus gives an invitation, not just come and be saved, but come and follow me. Come and learn from me. It requires there to be devotion as well. So we can't have devotion without desire. Uh, It doesn't last very long, and we can't have desire without devotion. I think biblical love for God includes both desire and devotion. I love him because I'm captured with who he is, because he's worthy of my attention, because he's the best thing that's ever happened, and I can't wait to be with him. I want to know more about him. I want to discover more about him. And I'm fully devoted to him as well. I'm committed to what he wants for me, committed to what he wants for the world. I'm committed to living in a way that brings him pleasure and delight. Not to try to win his love or affection. He already loves me, but because I love him, I'm devoted. The metaphors that scripture uses to talk about God helps us a little bit to flesh this out some. Uh, Scripture often talks about the relationship between uh, God and his people as a spouse, uh, this, uh, as like a marriage, a husband and a wife. And between a husband and a wife, you would want both desire and devotion. I, I love you and I appreciate you, but I'm also committed to you. He talks, the uh, scriptures talk about our relationship with God, like uh, the relationship between friends. So Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Well, to be a friend with someone is truly to, to, to love someone for sure. And you want to be around that person and you desire to be around that friend. But then also there's a level of commitment and loyalty and devotion there to that friend. And that's the way the scriptures depict our relationship with God as a friendship with God. 
We're the, the scriptures describe our relationship as the relationship of love between a parent and a child, sons and daughters uh, within the family of God who love a heavenly father who loves them. That's this depiction. Again, again, love is central to a family functioning healthy. And that kind of love is different than that spousal love. It's different than the friendship love. And then there's a kind of love that's talked about often in scripture where it's more about the love between a leader and his people, a king and his kingdom, where, where the king loves his people and is devoted to his people and the people love him and return and are devoted to him. And that also is, a, is this incredible depiction of love in the Bible. And what I love about that is it gives us so many different angles to think about our love with God. Because the truth is, for many people, it's difficult for them to wrap their minds around loving God like they love their husband or their wife. It, it feels almost weird. Now, it shouldn't, and that's a conversation for another day, but, uh, but it feels awkward. Well, guess what? You're not just left to that. You, are, you also have this picture of loving God from a child to a, a parent, or from a friend to a friend, or a king to, uh, or from, from subjects to a king. There's all these different pictures of love. And I think what happens for us is it gets tricky when we, we zoom in completely on one and we miss the aspects of the other ones. And what I'm learning in my own relationship as I get to know God more, as I'm growing in my desire and my devotion, is I need these other metaphors. And there are others, these are just the main ones, to help me understand what is this supposed to look like or feel like? Uh, how should my heart and my mind be oriented around who God is? Well, I can think about it like my commitment to my spouse or my kids. There's so many different ways to look at this. Now, that, I think this is God gives us so many different pictures to describe this relationship, to describe what this love relationship looks like, because now there is no one metaphor that completely describes it. We're talking once again about the God of the universe, the king of the world, the creator, the sustainer, the all-powerful one. How do you explain the relationship between that God and, and us human creatures? And it's like the, the Bible is giving us all different kinds of language to describe this incredible mystery of how this relationship is supposed to work and how love looks like between us. And I love that. And we're, and, and, and it's also helpful because we, in, in life, we, in our relationships and our love relationships now, we, we typically have a, a physical person standing there and we can see with their eyes. We can kind of like be able to touch and feel like there it's, it's different to love a God that we, we can't physically see yet who tell, who scripture tells us in our own experience bears us out. It's closer to us than any human being. I know God and God knows me better than any human on the planet. That is amazing to me. But yet that relationship is so different than every human on the planet because it's the spirit of God living inside of me that is revealing who God is. And it's a different kind of relationship. So we need all of these kinds of metaphors to help us understand what does this desire and this devotion look like for God. I'm going to kind of bring it now here to a close here. So the goal of human existence is to respond 
to God's love for us with love. That's what he's asking for us. That's his design and his desire for us is to understand this God who loves us. We just spent a whole series talking about how God so loved the world. You should go and watch that series 20 times, not because it's such good preaching, but so that you can get it into your soul that God loves you. Because if you don't know that God loves you, it is impossible to love God. It's impossible to understand who God is if what you think God is is a tyrant king who wants you to do everything he wants you to do without giving anything in return. It is the exact opposite of that, that God's grace is limitless, his love is boundless, his kindness knows no end, and he loves you and has loved you since before you were formed in your mother's womb. He knew your name and every hair on your head, and he is awesome. And you, the truth is you'll never be satisfied with anything else in life other than knowing, not, not truly satisfied. There are things that pacify, but, there are, but never satisfy the place that God is meant to occupy when we love him. When we understand how we are loved, then we respond to him with desire and devotion. And I'm telling you again, there's this invitation right now to step into this and discover something new about what it feels like and what it looks like to love God. And his heart for you is that you would stop your restless searching for other things, to find love in so many other places, and instead find love at the feet of Jesus, who is himself love. You're looking for love in and, and, and all different kinds of ways, but like Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest at him. They're, they're looking for love in all these different places until we discover love at his feet. Now, uh, let's be really honest. You might be saying, I don't love God the way that you're describing. The way that you're describing feels so foreign to me. The way that you're describing love, maybe, maybe it doesn't feel that foreign, but maybe it just feels like, gosh, I'm just not there. Well, here's the deal. You got a lot of company, <laughs> including myself. Because as I've pressed into this more, I realized, gosh, I have so much more room to grow in love for God in my life. So much more room to grow in my desire and grow in my devotion. I realized as I'm doing this that how much of my relationship with God is based off and my love for God is based off of what I believe he can do for me or what he has done for me in the past and not about who he is, not about his awesomeness, his holiness, his majesty, not being enamored with who he is, but instead being caught up with what he could do for me. And I just have this conviction growing in my heart that God wants to unlock things in my life and in your life by turning that on its head. And instead of thinking about what can God do for me and how can I, um, how can I somehow please him enough so that he will do the things I want him to do, he wants us to step into this process of discovery of knowing who he really is so that if we never have anything else in life, we are fully satisfied in him. This is what all the great heroes of the faith would tell us. If they were to, to look back on their life and say, you know what, I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I, I suffered many things, but in everything I discovered that I had the one thing that I needed and that was God. And God wants us to step into this place with him, this discovery with him, where, where we are fully satisfied in him, even if nothing else in life feels satisfactory. It, the truth is everything can be stripped away. The one thing you will have from now through the rest of eternity is Jesus and his love. So what he wants for us is to start with that eternity right now. 
He wants for us to start with this discovering who he is and growing in our desire and our devotion for him right now, because that's what you're doing on the other side. One day I will, I will breathe my last breath. And as I enter into eternity, I know I'm going to be entering into loving him forever and ever and ever and ever. It's, and that nothing else that I have here on this earth is going to go with me. None of my stuff I have no idea what human relationships are going to look like on the other side when I get to heaven. I have no idea. But what I know for sure is that I'm going to discover even more the depths of God's love. And I'm going to have an opportunity to love him. And he wants us to know that love now. That's why he says that that is how we inherit eternal life. To experience the love that we will experience for eternity. To experience that here and now. That is the thing I am fighting for. To experience that kind of love right now. Let me just encourage you. If you're saying, gosh, I'm hearing this. I hear what you're saying. I don't feel that way. Two things. One, I want you to know that just because you don't desire and because you're not as devoted to God in the way that I'm talking about right now, it doesn't mean you're a lost cause and neither am I. One, I want you to know that we grow in love by God doing something inside of us and to us. Love is one of the fruits of the Spirit, or one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is something that's produced from a life with God. It's something that, on the one hand, uh, I don't choose, and God is doing and growing in me. And so I want to encourage you that you can grow in love even if you don't feel love right now. How do I know this? Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul is a murderer, tracking down, hunting down, and killing Christians. That same Apostle Paul, who is the murderer of Christians, is the same Apostle Paul who says, if I do everything in the world and I don't have love, I have nothing. And it goes on with this beautiful description of love. That only happens by a transformation that happens in the heart of a person who has been with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that it's okay if you don't feel that way now, that it's something that God can grow. On the other hand, I want you to know it's also something that you get to choose that you can grow in love, that you can intentionally spend more time with God and discover more about who he is and that your desire and your devotion can grow through your intentional pursuit of him. The more time I spend with my wife, we, we, we try to go away a couple times a year and just spend just the two, this, the two of us uh, spending time together. And every time I walk away from those moments with her loving her even more, even though I didn't know I could, it's an intentional pursuit. It's the same with God. You can grow through an intentional pursuit with God. So don't be discouraged. Don't despair. If you're listening to this, you're going, gosh, I just feel like a terrible person because I don't love God. Stop it right now. God doesn't want you to feel any shame or condemnation. This is an invitation, not a challenge. This is an invitation to come and know the God who loves you, to come and discover his worth, his majesty, his glory, to come and discover who you really are uh, as you sit at his feet to come and unlock a way of life that will bring you more pleasure than you can ever imagine. I'm not saying it will be easy. I'm not saying there won't be suffering and hardship, uh, but, there, but to endure, you're going to experience those things anyway. I promise you suffering and hardship is going to come. Why not go through those things with the God who loves you and endure it and go through the valley of the shadow of death with the one who is with you? And it's not just that. It's also the heights of life and the best things of life. And God wants you to experience all those things with him too. 
So for today, don't feel any sense of condemnation. Let this ignite a spark in you and say, gosh, there's more. There's more that I have. There's more to experience him than I've ever discovered. So like the Apostle Paul, we would say, gosh, all I care about, everything in my life, I count as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of coming to know him even more. That's his heart for you and I today. There'll be some questions and some, some prompts for you to kind of think through your love for God and these categories I've given today. And my prayer for you is not necessarily that you'll come to conclusions this week about how you're going to do all of this, but that, that God will begin to grow a sense of desire in your heart that grows into a sense of devotion in your heart and that your love will just begin to grow. I pray that you have an amazing week and that the Holy Spirit releases his love in your life as you set your face towards knowing Jesus and understanding who the Father in heaven is and how he loves you. Go in peace and have a great week.